Oh, shoot. I didn't write down my... I wanted to do a, a new top five. A new top five? What do you mean? Top five things about AFR that let us down. Uh, or, or just straight up like top five criticisms of AFR. Number five is flavor words. I, that may be a number. I don't know. I haven't, I haven't thought through the list yet. This well, is unordered. So there's flavor words. There's like the large number of rares that are just worse versions of like old classic cards, which is just really weird. Like if there's a couple, it's fine, but it just like happens so many fucking times in this set. It's bizarre. And then there's rolling D20s for not the fun kind. Yeah, I would say the the thing we talked about where like capturing the D&D essence means literally just porting some of the rules into the game rather than actually like trying to adopt any of the things that people actually like about dnd i i actually do like dungeons though like, i do too I, I think they're cool i wish they were a little like powered up a little bit uh yeah I, I i think it's hard to escape that being a limited only mechanic or right energy 2.0 <laughs> yeah i i think that it's a really tough thing to like balance it is but even in limited like it just ends up getting balanced weird because some of the rares are pushed as yeah, though like as though they oh, could be constructed can, exactly like there's just a, a what a two mana one one death touch first strike that ventures when it attacks and it's like well this is yeah if dungeons were good then maybe this would be constructed playable but as it is now you have to balance limited around somebody having this one and it can't just end the game in two attacks so is there anything else on our list of things you don't like about this set would let you down yeah, just the general, like, very little actually interesting, like, the power level, the PowerPoints didn't get put into, like, cards that are, like, compelling in or novel. And, I mean, that's a similar complaint to the, like, boy, 15 card, fifteen of these cards are just cards that we've literally seen before. But uh, I'm disappointed by the Planeswalkers. I like that they're bad, don't get me wrong, because I'm not a huge fan of, like, warping Planeswalkers. But I also mm -hmm. don't understand how, you know, this is all D&D, there's no Planeswalkers in D&D. Yeah. So how are characters, some of the characters are legendary creatures and some of the characters are planeswalkers, and it's just like, yeah. who gets to decide which is what? Yeah, I don't know what else. I Like, you know, I, I, I just am generally bored by the set. I can't, it's not for me, I understand that. But there's just not a lot in here. So I have a, I have a thing that annoys me, it's Icing Death, Frost Tyrant. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this card's like fine to okay or whatever, but its design really bothers me because I get it in a D and D sense that you kill the dragon and it drops a loot for you. But it's your dragon and you get the loot. Well, that one I, I can forgive that for game mechanics wise. Okay, but I don't want to play a giant mythic that has its effect. All of its text box is devoted to this effect, and I only get it after my creature dies. Right. I agree. It is. And it's not like a Child of Alara where you, you want your thing to die because it wipes the board. It's uh you get to play with equipment. So you're playing a longer game after that, too. And it's like, I, come on. Right. You, you get a an equipment that like is approximately equivalent to a two mana equipment. Well, nowadays it's like four mana equipment because they don't yeah. they don't cost those like they could be. <laughs> we should probably just head into it. I'm ready. Let's do it.
Hey everyone, welcome to episode 203 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. We are your hosts. I'm Chris Casarapple. With me is Lee McLeod. Hey Lee. Hi Chris. We took a week off. We don't do that very often. I had a beach trip. I don't do that very often, but timing and the fact that there just wasn't like a lot that I that we really needed to talk about just kind of made it much easier to to chill for one week on this stuff. I did enjoy though that the day we were supposed to record is the same day that Wizards announced that they were giving prizes back to Worlds. So that's another announcement we could have easily missed. Yeah, the whole so what what did they do? They gave fifty thousand dollars to each person who qualified. Yeah, as a uh, what are they called? It's like a show up and you get it. But I, I know there's a word for that. It just it escapes me. Yeah, I mean a minimum prize, an appearance fee, whatever appearance you want to call fee, it. Yeah, sure. I don't understand this at all. Like, what did they think? What, so here's what happened. Step one: strip prizes from worlds. Step two: people notice and get mad. Step three put mo- put money back into worlds like which step of that process did they think like wasn't going to lead to the next step like did they just think that people weren't gonna notice or get mad and they just get a- like obviously people were gonna notice and then people were gonna get mad and then now you put the money back but people are still mad like you didn't fix it we still think you're assholes it didn't fix it completely for the players either because no one tested for the last league weekend because it didn't matter at all Right. And all of a sudden, it was worth $50,000, like, retroactively. I think one of my favorite tweets I saw from a pro was, this just goes to show you, as Wizards demonstrated, you never know how important each tournament will be retroactively. I, yeah. I mean, this, it's very similar to, did, did you do good in 2018? Well, if you did. So, yeah, I mean, that happened. Like, nothing they do can possibly shock me anymore. <laughs> no, but it's... I don't, I don't want to say fun to see what happens next, but certainly eyebrow raising. Yeah, that's true. I, I mean, it's a lot of money. Like, I'm glad that the players are getting some. It also is structured in such a way that, like, none of the players can justify boycotting worlds. So, you know, they've they've cut off that particular avenue of bad press that they could potentially have seen so whatever man i don't i don't really care anymore but they are good at making cards mostly you don't you don't care for so this was a set review show right this is a set review you don't care for the D set the confluence of stuff around this set has made it really really difficult i'm the least excited for the set that i have been for any set in recent memory coming straight on the heels of mh2 with just like no room to breathe i think is like like man we could have i i feel like they need to be a little more flexible with their release schedule and and like we don't necessarily even need a full four standard sets a year if like we can focus on competitive formats other than standard etc etc but like mh2 is a full set and you need to breathe between mh2 and the other sets and And we just didn't get that chance it's also not just a full set it's like the most impactful set in modern ever even more so than the original modern horizons nine of the top 15 most played creatures in modern right now are from modern horizons too yeah the the set is crazy impactful and i could 
talk about modern for like the next month, two months without a break pretty easily. Mm -hmm. Or maybe cards. I don't remember if it's creatures or cards, but it's something like that. MH2 is just like the whole format has shifted around it completely. And this set is uh, powered down from the Akoria, Throne of Eldraine, Theros, like Mm -hmm. a year, which is good because that's absurd. Yes. Yes. Uh, And that, along with the D&D flavoring, which, you know, I'm not a D&D player, so I don't really get a lot of the stuff. It's just, I don't, the set's just kind of doomed to failure in my eyes. Mm-hmm. Like, if you can't print very powerful cards because you don't want to unbalance standard horribly, and you're coming off a set where you literally just did that for another format, and you're tying it to flavor, I don't mm-hmm. care about, that's a hard goal to reach. Yeah, that's a tough sell. Yeah, exactly that. Just, I mean, I'm glad that they are powering down. Absolutely. I'm not sure. I mean, maybe it's just inherent in powering down that it is, if the set becomes a really tough sell, you know, there's a reason that masks and Kamigawa are not looked back upon as favorites of, of the magic community. I, I think there are good ways to power down sets. And, and this mm-hmm. set's not like as bad as Strixhaven, but in, in terms of like power level, but I was more excited for Strixhaven than this set because Strixhaven is a generic multicolored set. There's always like pretty neat to see what they do with them and Strixhaven at the Mystical Archives, which was a super interesting layer to Historic for a little while. Yeah, I like will always have a special place in my heart for Strixhaven because it turned Historic into a format that I actively wanted to play and played a lot of. And, you know, I've got a little binder with all of the Mystical Archive cards because I think they're really pretty. And so Strixhaven gave us that. Uh, they didn't really find a thing for D&D to give us. I mean, maybe it gives D&D fans a thing. And and so maybe it stands out for that reason. But to me, you know, this is just... Not only is it powered down, the cards are kind of uninteresting to me. And also, like, it's an IP from outside of Magic the Gathering. And it's trying... And in my opinion, failing to tell a bunch of jokes and make references to a world that like, like so I'm not the person to make this judgment, but like if they made cards I like love, this. I love in, the but and then proceed. <laughs> well, like like if they were making cards in this way that were referencing a universe that I do care about, if these were, you know, Star Wars cards or Path of Exile cards, like this still this execution would just make me feel like, oh, well, why all the hype like this kind of sucked kind of a bummer to start the show on i yeah i listened to the arena deckless podcast episode to try to like see what their thoughts were and see if that could maybe like change my sort of mood and attitude towards the set because they generally ended up being pretty positive but as i you know was listening to their top 10 list it was like all cards that i'd looked at and considered And they talked about them and said all of the things that I kind of already thought about them and talked about with with you and other people. And then they just came out like, okay, yeah, excited for these. And then my conclusion on all those cards is still like unplayable now, not particularly exciting post rotation. So I don't know where we're kind of like missing each other here on this. But it's so hard for me to get hype about these cards. So I'm ready to listen to two hours of us talking about them. <laughs> I mean, I don't think that's to like finish up our preamble, I guess. I don't think it's like a death knell for a course. I don't think every set needs to have like a huge hook or anything to be fine. Mm-hmm. 
Like, I think Ixalan largely failed in execution and rivals, but that standard format was still pretty good. Like, the sets around because the sets around it were fun. yeah it had a lot of other good sets in that format yeah and, and the next set we're getting is Innistrad which always has really strong themes and graveyard interaction which is mm-hmm. in my opinion one of the things Magic does the best out of all card games like this like the resource management and adding the graveyard yeah so I expect even Innistrad's not you know powerful as Throne Veil Drain because I don't think we can expect that it will be different and engaging enough to make me view like standard more favorably even if it's not very powerful right and we can we can have like a kind of bad set in the format and it still is fine like kaldheim and zendikar are cool sets that have like solid cards that are worth building decks around that are enjoyable to play so if nothing else like those cards are going to be in and getting a new lease on life when rotation happens and there are there's like one card I was looking through all the cards today, obviously, as we were doing the thing. And I also listened to several other podcasts to get more opinions out there. Mm. And there's one card I actually really, really like that I'm kind of excited for. Uh-huh. Which we'll get to at the very end of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, should we start things off with white? Yeah. Uh, my number five is Paladin class. This is an enchantment class, so it levels up. It is one white mana, spells your opponent's cast during your turn, costs one more to cast, two and a white, creatures you control get plus one, plus one, and four and a white, whenever you attack until end of turn, target attacking creature gets plus one, plus one for each other attacking creature, and gains double strike. It's not a great card, but it does a couple of things and potentially allows you to like make your creatures way more powerful than they otherwise would be and i actually kind of like that level three because it still works even if you only have one creature it still gives it double strike and if your one creature is a faceless haven or something like that then you know you're still hitting really hard off of your man land and and so i could see this being a thing yeah it's a little it's not that bad that it's level one doesn't do very much because it's only a one mana spell Mm -hmm. so you basically have to just play it and hope your opponent's interacting with you early specifically with your creatures because that's when it only does something and then the level two is, I think, where it gets good. I think that's generally a little too slow. Playing a card and then needing three extra mana to devote to it before it does anything. But if you can get into those proactive games, the long game states, the level three can end the game really quickly. I, I particularly like it with man lands, but, you know, I'm not super hyped for this card. Uh, my number four is Loyal Warhound. This is one in a white for a 3-1 Vigilance. When Loyal Warhound enters the battlefield, if an opponent controls more lands than you, search your library for a basic planes card, put it onto the battlefield tapped, then shuffle. So begins our, like, journey through. There's, like, 15 rares in this set that are just worse versions of classic rares that you know and love. And it's it's weird. It's really, really weird. I I thought you'd be higher on this card because it's... Like, you like Knight of the White Orchid. Yeah, this is worse than Knight of the White Orchid in, like, three different ways. Oh, yeah. it's Well, it is better that it's a dog, because that's cute. That is cute. Uh, it's worse that it's not a human. <laughs> so, I mean, it's better that it doesn't cost double white, but Knight of the White Orchid lets you get a non-basic planes. It also, key, and this is a gigantic key, puts it into play untapped. Because the sequence with Knight of the White Orchid 
it doesn't do anything except be a body on turn two. Turn three on the draw is the first time that you can get a planes out of it. But that works real great with Knight of the White Orchid because you go Knight of the White Orchid, get a planes, play a land, play another two drop. You've double spelled on turn three. That's good. That's a, a really solid turn. Loyal Warhound just cannot do that. Turn three with Loyal Warhound is play Loyal Warhound, get a tapped land, play another land. If you manage to have a one drop in your hand still, then you could cast that, but that's a way worse turn and more less likely to happen. So, you know, it's only better in that it doesn't cost double white. I mean, it's fine. Like, this is a, the kind of tool that mid-rangey decks with white in them and, you know, this allows you to play it in, like, a Mardu deck or something like that. You can have a lot of colors. As long as you have enough basic planes. Yeah, basic planes. Like, why basic? Why does it have to say basic? I don't I don't get it. And I don't understand. I, there's seriously, like, 15 rares in this set that are, like, callbacks to other older beloved cards, but they're just worse than them. And this is the first one. It's so weird. I, I don't know. I, I do like this card, though. This is I have this on number two at my list. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's more of a indictment to the white cards i actually do like the white cards in this set but i i think loyal white hound loyal warhound is one of the more playable ones in the set just because it's yeah. a decently fine body yeah it's like a fine basic effect and i do love cards that are that are better on the draw than the play like i, I think that's great design space that's really difficult to do but you know this is just the same text as another card so not a lot of credit for that honestly Number three, I've got Oswald Fiddlebender. <laughs> this is one and a white for a two-two. It's I'm not gonna read the flavor words. I, I I'm so anti-flavor words, I just can't. It's got one white tap, sacrifice an artifact, search your library for an artifact card with mana value equal to one plus a sacrifice artifact's mana value, put it onto the battlefield, then shuffle, activate only as a sorcery. I, look, this card isn't great. It's it dies to everything. You need to untap with it for it to do anything. It certainly can't do anything in standard. So you're like hoping that it does something in a more powerful format. But as an enabler in like a blue white deck with Thopter Sword combo in it, like this is kind of you know if you untap with this in modern, I believe you just win if your deck is properly constructed, or at least like you're just getting a massive advantage every single time you activate this. And if you're the kind of deck where removal spells aren't very good against you anyways, which is kind of unlikely because you're probably also an Emery Urza deck. So that's, you know, okay, this probably doesn't do anything in that world. But I, I, it's mostly here just because this card is interesting and exciting to me. And there aren't very many, very many of those cards in the set. Like, this card's neat. Yeah, if this were the top five cards of, like, cards I like, Oslan yes. would be on there. Uh, I didn't make it onto my list because I I just don't think birthing pot effects are very good in standard formats, limited formats like this. Right. Uh, and in modern, you could do the, the Thopter Sword thing, but there's not a lot of value in playing three drops in your deck, especially three drop artifacts. So mm -hmm. you can't really go up the chain very high. Which definitely limits effectiveness. See, I don't think you have to go up very high, and I think you only have because you don't need to go above three, certainly. You want to have a couple of threes, but it can be like a nettle cyst and something else useful, and then you're like, you know, getting there. Well, it just sucks to me that you can't sacrifice a sword and get a Thopter Foundry. Yes, I agree. That that does put a damper on the whole thing, but... 
Like if you could do that, I would be all in for this card because it's th- that's a a nice little thing. But yeah, being forced to go up the chain as as Berlin Pod makes yeah. you do, yeah. But I don't know. It's fun. It's neat. Uh, my number two is the Book of Exalted Deeds. This is white, white, white for a legendary artifact. At the beginning of your end step, if you gain three or more life this turn, create a three-three white angel creature token with flying. And white, 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 tap, exile the Book of Exalted Deeds, put an enlightened counter on target angel. It gains, you can't lose the game and your opponents can't win the game. Activate only as a sorcery. The main reason this is on my list is because with Mutavault or Faceless Haven, this just like creates a land that your opponent has to kill or you can't lose the game and they can't win the game. Yep, that is a thing that can happen. I wonder if that's good enough. I don't know. But uh, that, is a nine, that is a nine mana investment with a Faceless Haven, right? Three for the book, three for your activation, three to activate the Faceless Haven. Yeah, but you can pay it in kind of installments. You and... do have to have a seven lands for the the payoff though, right? Three for activate the Faceless Haven. No, because you can activate Faceless Haven with itself. With itself, yeah, correct. So... That's snow symbol throwing me off. Right, right, right. Yeah, I mean, it... I don't know that that's going to work. Maybe in Pioneer, you make this work with in like a Heliod deck that has Mutavaults in it or something like that. In in Standard and Historic, you're stuck with Faceless Haven, which is certainly more awkward. But anytime you pull that off, like a lot of decks are not going to be able to do anything and you, you just win. I, I mean, yeah, that would be sweet to pull it off. Like the second that becomes a thing, people start doing it and... Forcing other people to board in like cleansing wildfire or whatever, right? Th- that would be kind of neat. <laughs> uh, and my number one is portable hole, a one white mana artifact. When it enters the battlefield, exile target non land permanent and opponent controls with mana value two or less until portable hole leaves the battlefield. Significantly less excited about this for older formats now that we have prismatic ending, which I think fills in a lot of the space that this was originally going to fill up. Because uh, this got spoiled before Prismatic Ending because spoiler season is eternal. But this still can net you mana advantage, can get a lot of different stuff. And what is really cool works well with stuff like anything that rewards you for having artifacts in play, including like Galazeth Prismari in Standard. And so that is nice. And uh, if you're using the artifact part of it too, then this card becomes really, really good. Yeah, I've seen... Urza decks in modern because it's that the set is not released in paper or even pre-released in paper yet. Uh, you can still play with them on Magic Online. Mm-hmm. So I've seen Urza decks with prismatic, or excuse me, with portable hole in them with mm-hmm. like Imri and Urza and uh, War of Invention, just to like use the artifact. Yeah, as part of its, you know, it's a removal spell that doesn't detract from your main game plan. Right. Yep. So it it's pretty good. Like, it would be number one with a bullet if we didn't have Prismatic Ending. But I think, you know, in Modern, you're only going to play this if you want the artifact in play. Because mm-hmm. it's just worse than than Prismatic Ending otherwise. Yep, exactly. Which is a space I really like, to be honest. I also have Portable Hold number one. Uh, it's nice to have options as efficient removal spells in white. Mm-hmm. And not have one be edged out completely. Yeah. Like, there's actual diversity between Path to Exile, Prismatic Ending, and Portable Hold. Yeah, yeah. It, it's not, you know, for a very long time we had 
your removal spells are Lightning Bolt, Fatal Push, or Path to Exile, and you play the ones that your color allows you, and often you choose your color based on what you need to kill. Yep. Now it's not like that. You can play Unholy Heat in red, and mm-hmm. in white you have so many more options with just the last two sets. Yeah, yeah. So I, I do appreciate that. Uh, I have almost all different white cards from you, which is nice. very interesting. Yeah. Uh, so I have Nadar, Selfless Paladin, as my number five, mm-hmm. which is the card I introduced to you before we started recording. Uh, it's a two white, three, three, a legendary dragon knight with vigilance. Uh, when it enters the battlefield or attacks, you venture into the dungeon, and other creatures you control get plus and plus one as long as you've completed a dungeon. So. I don't think the dungeon deck in standard is a thing you can do. The dungeon effects are too weak for that. But this card is a well-statted for standard uh, two white three three with vigilance, with some upside. I've seen some cute little decks that use dragon synergies because there's a couple in this set, and Nadar is a three mana dragon. Mm. And I was honestly reaching a little for these slots. Yeah, I right. I think two and a white for a three three is farther from the realm of standard playability than you know you 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 would kind of want. And also, yeah, I think just like dungeon stuff, I like kind of intentionally excluded all dungeon related cards from my list. I believe this I is think, the only dungeon card I have on my list. Yeah, it, it's just not very powerful. Even getting all the way through, like the you know the the normal dungeon, like the payoff is you draw a card at the end and the mad mage dungeon is like eight steps or whatever seven steps i guess it's it's just like really hard to do these things uh number and and get somewhere with them so number four i have is ingenious smith this is my two mana artifact card i decided to put on here Mm -hmm. because there's two in this set Uh, ingenious smith is a one white one one human artificer uh, when there's a battlefield, you can look at the top four cards of your library, reveal an artifact from among them, and put it into your hand, and the rest go on the bottom. And whenever one or more artifacts enters the battlefield under your control, you can put a plus one, plus one counter on it, but you can only do that once per turn. So tame. Yeah, this is... So I loved Glintness Crane in Kaladesh, which mm-hmm. was a similar card, a full 1-3 flyer that did the similar artifact digging thing. Uh, the, the main difference between Glutinous Crane and this is that this is a white card and it gets bigger. Mm-hmm. Like it, it can start attacking. I've seen Hammer Time decks with this card in it. Oh yeah, that makes sense. Because it's just digs for your stuff and is also a secondary threat. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is a really good sweet spot for that deck. And I hope that there's there's a lot of artifacts energy in this set, strangely enough. Like you mentioned Oswald earlier. Mm-hmm. And I hope that they keep reaching into this design space for white because between equipments and like cards like these, you can start doing something that isn't right. just attacking with small creatures. Yeah, Ingenious Smith can get your portable hole. Yeah, exactly. That's the reason to play it over uh, the other white removal spells in standard. Yeah. <laughs> well, the other white removal spell in standard right now is Glass Casket. So, you know. Yeah, you can get that one too. Yeah, you just got all of that synergy. And then he gets bigger when he sees a casket. Mm-hmm. It's, it's genius. Ingenious, even. Ingenious. Uh, my number two is the Grandmaster of Flowers slash Monk of the Open Hand. And honestly, it's more Monk of the Open Hand than Grandmaster of Flowers. Uh-huh. 
So Grandmaster Flowers is a two white white, three loyalty planeswalker, a Bahamut. I don't know how to say that. As long as Grandmaster Flowers has seven or more loyalty counters on him, he's a 7-7 dragon god creature with flying and indestructible. Uh, relevantly, that means he's no longer a planeswalker, so can't be attacked, can't lose loyalty, but still has the loyalty abilities. And the loyalty abilities are plus one, target creature without first strike, double strike, or vigilance, can't attack or block until your next turn. And the other plus one is search your library or graveyard for a card named Demoke with the open hand, reveal it, put it into your hand, and then shuffle. <laughs> like Asmore, you have to go to another card to finish it. <laughs> So Monk the Hemp open hand is pretty simple. It's just a, a white mana 1-1 one, one elf monk that says whenever you cast your second spell each turn, you put a plus one, plus one counter on it. I'm actually pretty big on Monk of the open hand. Having a white one drop that just grows in time with a couple of other cards, namely a monk class, mm-hmm. I, I think you can try to build a more spell heavy, maybe not spell heavy, but casting spells heavy white deck. Yeah. And the Grandmaster Flowers himself is a pretty good payoff for having Monk of the Open Hand in your deck, because he tutors them out, gets them back from your graveyard. And he's just a threat your opponent has to deal with while bubbling things. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's just a pretty cool piece, I think. Yeah. There's something that I don't really see this Planeswalker happening for some reason. It just, like, it's got that feel to it of the Planeswalker that never really gets there, you know? So I'm... This is a this planeswalker is secondary to me to the actual creature. I think the creature is the the good spot here. Right, and I, I think the problem for me is that I'm having a hard time visualizing, and this might be a failure of my imagination, but I'm having a hard time visualizing decks that want both the one drop and this planeswalker in them at the same time. Because this this feels like it's setting up kind of like a mid rangey game plan sort of thing, mm-hmm. whereas you know, like it comes down and the thing it does is remove a blocker. Or, or attacker. I mean, like, in your aggro deck that wants to run that one drop, like, the thing that this four drop does is come down and says target creature can't block this turn. And, like, okay, but that costs me four mana. Or you can start pl- playing your one drops, which I guess is fine if they're, like, a pure control deck, but, like, when... Like, what year is it? You know? So I don't, I don't imagine this deck as an aggro deck, per se, mm-hmm. where you're just trying to play things on curve and attack your opponent. I think it's not good for that, because you never... You never really activate your monks or your other spell payoffs like that. It just doesn't work. I imagine it more as like as a mid-range deck where you're trying to play slightly larger things and get payoffs off the cheaper stuff like Monk of the Open Hand or Clarion Spirit. And Bahamut's just a card that lets you get spells because it's only a one-cost spell that you're always having access to. Right. That's where I see it fitting in, not as like a, a topper in an aggro deck. Gotcha. Okay, I could kind of see that. The power level of what's going on with that feels overall Tough. very low to me. Like hey, the thing you're, I, I work the, with what the set gives me, Chris. Like the thing you're putting together ultimately is like we got a squad worse of than small one guys. single adventure creature. Yes, I, I understand. <laughs> All right, and like certainly, I mean, I think implicitly everything we're talking about for most of these cards is like post rotation. And if there's anything that we're like, oh, this could be good right now like we'll explicitly call that out so maybe like i don't know what the the power level of post rotation will end up being that deck doesn't quite feel like it but and and 
like ultimately this planeswalker feels like weirdly limited in because it requires you to put this one drop into your deck for it to be effective so it like pigeonholes itself into how can i make both of these cards fine to draw in my hand yeah i get that it's definitely one of the hardest to build around of this like entire list i think yeah but it is more interested in exploring it than like pretty much anything else yeah that Uh, makes sense uh, it's a cool design too like I think it it's a top-down design of this character, and, like, it's got, like, seven birds, and that's a thing with it, and those are the loyalty counters that let it turn into a drag. Like, there's stuff going on here. I, it, all of it escapes me. I know there's birds in the art, but that has no significance to me. <laughs> there's seven birds in the art. There Honestly, you could have told me there were six, and you'd be like, yep, sure, whatever. <laughs> that wouldn't make very much sense at all. <laughs> well, it, it makes equal sense to me. Yeah, well, it's got seven loyalty counters to turn into a 7-7, seven, seven, so, you know. Yeah, and it's a four-mana card with three loyalty that adds up to seven. I, hmm, Th- that one is some, you know. But it sounds, when you talk about the bird things, it sounds exactly the same to me. It's just Illuminati. What? Nonsense. Seven and seven is not <laughs> Illuminati. That's, like, very clearly what the card okay, is doing. birds are not dragons, Chris. They're not. No, they're loyalty counters. Why are birds loyalty counters? Listen, the rules of Magic the Gathering are not very good at adapting the lore of du- and rules of Dungeons and Dragons. So they're doing what they can, and <laughs> most of it didn't turn out so good. But this one, I think, turned out okay. Okay, if you say so, I'll believe you. <laughs> All right, can we get your blue cards? Whoa, whoa, I have two more white cards. Oh, I, mean, I thought that really. was... You're number two. Okay, sorry. I was number three. I, Loyal Warhound and Portable Hole are my two and one, okay. which you've already talked about. But for yep. completion's sake, I will. Yes, yes. Them. All right. <sighs> we can do blue, though. Great. So I did a lot of reaching for blue. I was very unimpressed with blue in general for this set. Yeah, it felt awful to me. So my number five. So for almost all of these cards, I think they're bad. Mm-hmm. But I'm talking about them anyway. Reasonable. So my number five is Morden Kanan. Which is a 4UU 5 loyalty planeswalker with a plus 2 of draw 2 cards, then put a card from your hand on the bottom. Minus 2, make a dog illusion with power and toughness equal to twice the number of cards in your hand. And his ultimate is minus 10, exchange your hand in your library, shuffle, and you get an emblem with you have no maximum hand size. I think this card's too expensive to be interesting, but the fact that it starts with such a large amount of loyalty... Six mana that goes straight up to seven and can produce multiple creatures without needing to plus makes it so that maybe you can find your way as a pretty extreme curve topper in a control deck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I pretty much agree. I'm not over the moon about this card and would be kind of surprised if it sees play, but you know, it's a six mana planeswalker. The, those are hard to make work anymore. I will say that I recognize the name of this character but know nothing about the actual character well i just know he's got a bunch of spells named after him yeah he's got a bunch of spells named after him (laughs) Uh, number four is you find the villain's lair (laughs) which is a modal spell uh one uu instant choose one counter target spell or draw two cards then discard two cards (laughs) this is just the cancel that we'll see play if you need a cancel yeah, although we have Fortel cancel legal, which kind of moots this a little bit, I think. 
if you've got graveyard stuff going on, maybe you opt into this one for some reason, but... Yeah, sometimes you need a little bit of backdoor, like, discard enabling stuff and yeah like I, i'm glad that this card exists like this car this is a design that i'm happy to see so i can't i can't be too upset about it right i mean if we like prismari command as much as we do then we have to at least find this card acceptable yeah i mean kind of i'm gonna <laughs> i'm gonna cast a lot more prismari commands over the course of my magic career than i'm gonna cast you find the villains lair but the concept is sound and i'm glad that it's here number three for me is the black staff of water deep which is a blue mana legendary artifact, which you can choose not to untap during your untap step, if you so choose. I, uh, I feel it... like that's text that we used to see like all the time on artifacts, and we just haven't seen in like 10 years. I don't even know the last card it was on. I think it might have been Vidalkin Shackles. <laughs> uh, it's got one or two tap to make another target creature, another non-token artifact you control become a 4-4 artifact creature for as long as the black staff remains tapped and you can only activate that as a sorcery so it's a very limited versions of the insul artifact effect but it is repeatable kind of like a like a slapdash equipment i guess because mm -hmm. you can just keep using the black staff on different artifacts as they deal with them yeah of course this doesn't stop them from being able to deal with the black staff at Waterdeep, which stops its effect entirely so that's a bit of a weakness. Right. I mean, it's it's better against creature removal than insole artifact, but it's not better against artifact removal than insole artifact is. Although but, you don't get two for one if they disenchant this. So, you know. You can also find this off of things like Ingenious Smith or Glintness Crane, mm -hmm. which you cannot with the other two, like a skilled animator or insole artifact. Right. Yeah, exactly. And that's why I have a fair bit of love for this card because it does have the artifact type line. And so even when you are not... Like, you know, I, I mean, so it, it does the insole artifact thing, not quite as big, not quite as efficiently, but it also, you know, enables your improvise or affinity synergies or your artifact count thing or whatever other artifact stuff you've got going on. So I, you know, I, I like this card. This is a, you know, it's a little obnoxious that it's legendary, but... I do like this card and I like how cheap it is and it, like one mana artifacts that do a thing are always worth a look. Yep. I feel very similarly. My number two is Dimulich, which is a quad blue. You, 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 you. Four, three creature skeleton wizard. Uh, the spell costs you less for each instant sorcery you've cast this turn. <laughs> Whenever it attacks, you can exile up to one target instant sorcery card from your graveyard copy it and then you can cast that copy but you do have to pay its costs uh, and you can cast it from your graveyard by exiling four instant sorcery cards from your graveyard in addition to paying its other costs uh, i've already seen a screenshot of aspiring spike casting like four of these on his turn four so you know there's something there i so i have yet one of the weird things about this set is that everyone's still pretty high on modern mm -hmm. and I don't really see any standard gameplay at all. So mm -hmm. people are kind of hyping up this for uh, various formats. And I think it has way more of a shot in a format like Modern where you have Metamorphose, specifically Metamorphose. Mm -hmm. but, yeah, actually reduce that total for cost. Right. But, but if you don't, like for standard, mm -hmm. I don't think this card is remotely playable. Right. And a lot of people 
don't seem to think that, but based on opinions I've heard, which is wild to me. Uh, I think Ross has come the closest to something I kind of agree with, which is saying maybe you can play it in like a slower blue-black deck with removal spells, where you're just incidentally filling your graveyard up, and you yeah. can get it as a free creature. I'm like, yeah, sure, okay, that sounds cool. I'm on board for that. But if we're trying to reduce its mana cost to play it early to recast spells that we've already played, that's a lot of hoops to jump through. And quad blue is such a huge casting cost. Well, the joke is that you can use your other colors other colors of mana to cast spells of those colors to reduce the blue in the cost. So if you have two mountains in play, you can cast two shocks, and then this costs blue, blue, red, red, effectively. Well, so, blue, blue, red, red, and the shocks from your hand. Yeah, but yeah, you killed some creatures with them. You totally Hopefully. Got what if I wanted to cast my Demi-Lich on a turn where I had shocks in my hand, but my opponent didn't have creatures in play? Well, then you're just going to face. <laughs> Thank and God that- these aren't magma sprays. And maybe I take a pessimistic view of this card because I've cast, I've played a lot of decks where you want to be casting like a requisite number of spells to do a thing, like mm-hmm. Phoenix or Pyrance or Ascension or whatever. And there are always situations, even when your cards are very powerful, where you're casting spells at kind of awkward times, but your payoff is good enough, so you kind of suck it up and do it. And Damian's payoff is not very good. Like you right. get a four or three, which is okay. He's just a bro. Like, but he doesn't do. He doesn't fly. It's a ground pounder. It doesn't protect himself. Yeah, uh, he doesn't cast a spell for free as I originally read him as doing. Yep, you have to pay for it. It also exiles cards you use to cast with the Damage Lich, so you can't bring it back using those cards. Like, there's mm-hmm. just too many downsides for this card for me. With no access to Thought Scour or Thought Scour esque cards, no access to Manamorphos or Manamorphos esque cards. This card is a pretty tough sell to me. I, I also think it's pretty tough sell to me with with those cards. With access to those, right. I mean, it... I, like, I, I cast Dragon's Rage Channeler this right. past weekend, and that card pays you up, like, honestly gives you a better payoff than this card as a red mana spell <laughs> that you don't have to jump through any hoops for. Yeah, but this is great with Dragon's Rage Channeler. You can surveil this straight into your graveyard. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I'm not I mean, even kidding. Like, if this card is I know good, you're it's not, probably but... <laughs> in a deck with Dragon's Rage Channeler. Like... But if this card doesn't go directly from your graveyard to somewhere that isn't your hand, or from somewhere that isn't your hand, it's uh, less than inspiring. I, I mean, yeah. It'd be a lot better if we had Faithless Looting around. Yep. Because I've definitely seen, like, Spike's Demulich deck was definitely running Charter Course in it. <laughs> of course it was. And, uh... <laughs> Faithless salvaging, so you know. Oof. Yeah, there's a lot of good cards in modern nowadays. I do not want to be playing faithless salvaging. Mm, yep, I agree. And my number one is Imrith. I think you how you say this. Sure. Desert Doom. Uh, it's a three UU five five flying legendary dragon uh, that has Ward four as long as it's untapped, and whenever it deals combat damage to a player, you draw a card. Then if you have fewer than three cards in your hand, you draw cards equal to the difference. So you draw up to three if you don't have three cards in your hand. Great. It's Dragon Lord Urgitai. Wait. It, okay. Cool. Yep. Pretty much. It's just a monocolored 5-5 five, five dragon for five that kind of is hard to kill until it attacks and then it draws your card. It's like pretty hard to kill. Ward four means that like if they manage to have the right Doomblade that can kill this, that costs six mana. If they have, like, a Murderous Rider, that costs seven mana, and they probably can't, so. 
is there a Doomblade in this format that kills it when after rotation? Because I know Power Word Kill does not right. touch and, dragons. And uh, Heartless Act rotates. Yeah, Heartless Act rotates. Like Eliminate doesn't kill it. I mean, maybe there's not even a Doomblade. So, like, I think this is pretty hard to kill. Yeah, when it's I, I think I, so. I, I think it's very close to having Hexproof when it's untapped. It's so it's like pretty close to dragon. Although later in the game, it's very different. I guess Baleful Mastery for the two cost. You know. Oh, is that the uh, four mana card you can pay two for and they draw a card? Yeah. Yeah, you could do that. But I mean, that still costs six Six to do and then you draw a card. So it's not the end of the world if that happens. But, you know, you'd rather it didn't die and that's where Dragon Lord Ojitai would not die. You also can't... In the past format with Dragon Lord Ojitai, there was like Silumgar Scorn Mm -hmm. and the, the red one. Basically, the reveal reveal of dragon for your hand cycle that let you get payoffs for dragons. There's there is some of that in this set, but none of it's really blue. Most of it's I, white and red. I do think that red removal spell is pretty good. Yes, like, if you can generally, if that's a, it's on my red list. But like, if you have this guy in your hand or in play, it deals five damage to a creature for or planeswalker for two mana. Like that's that strong, and, and that works with Galazeth Prismaria as well. Right. Which is another dragon. So maybe if there's something there, you can do that. But I think this card's just a generically powerful creature for standard control decks. Yeah, I think it's okay. I think what you actually want to be doing with it is powering it out, like maybe with treasure, because that ward ability gets worse the longer the game goes on, and it this pays you off for like having dumped your hand. Like if you use Prismari Command to make a treasure and loot. And like you go down a card, like dump the cards out of your hand, and then this can draw you up to three. So I don't know exactly what a deck built like that looks like. I'm less excited about this in like a blue black removal and counter spell sure, yeah. deck where this is the top. It's like, but this is your you've got a five five flyer that you have to hit them with it to draw a card, and hopefully they don't have like instant speed removal that takes it out that you can't stop or or it's late in the game, so they just get right through the ward. I, yeah, I like this more in like a, a deck with Galazeth, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my blue list, my top three are pretty similar. I've got Imrith, the Blackstaff, and Demi Lich. My like also rans here. I've got Mind Flayer, just three blue blue for a three three sower of temptation. Yep. Which why? I don't get it. Like I get that like that's what Mind Flayers do. But I don't get why we need a card that's a worse version of an old... Like, it's just not inspiring to me to have a worse version of an old card with literally nothing else. It just costs a mana more, is, like, debatably a worse body, and the ability is exactly the same. Like, this is the most uninspired... Whoa, 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 whoa. Sword of Temptation does not have Dominate Monster. Mm-hmm. It's just not... It's just, like, one of the least inspired cards I've seen in my entire life. If Sword of Temptation didn't exist, then yeah, like fantastic. But like we have that card and we've each played with it 20 times in cube. Like we know what that card does. Yep. Uh, and then I've also got Tasha's Hideous Laughter, 1UU, Sorcery. Each opponent exiles cards from the top of their library until that player has exile cards <laughs> with a total mana value 20 or more. Like this is like a lot of cards. Also, it exiles them and doesn't even put them into their graveyard. But that doesn't really matter because your other mill cards definitely are putting their cards in their graveyard. So it's kind of worse because it doesn't open them up to getting surgicaled. But eh, 
this is probably not even like the mill card that you run in the mill deck so probably not yeah blue blue did not have a lot of cards that were inspiring nope scraping the bottom of the bucket for for four and five all right my black cards my number five is power word kill one in a black for an instant destroy target non-angel non-demon non-devil non-dragon creature you know some formats this will be the two mana spell I bet for most of the time in standard, like this is just going to be a huge drawback because the dragons are really good. There's a yep. lot of good dragons. Goldspan Dragon, Amrith, Galzeth. Uh, the two decks oh, that I've seen. That's what I wanted to say. Amrith blocks Goldspan Dragon. Cause the five oh, yeah. That's nice. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the two decks that I have seen the most of in the standard 2022 format that they've had on Arena are Angels and Dragons. So. You know, Power Word Kill just being completely blank against those decks is not ideal. And if the format's like that, then you just can't play this card. I think this is a mostly fancy way of saying destroy target non-rare creature. <laughs> it's like, just, it's eliminate. Like, it's just yeah. an eliminate, basically. Pretty it's much. not going to kill, like, any of the four mana plus creatures in the format. God, I hope my opponent plays their robber of the rich so I have something to kill. <sighs> yep. My number four is... Ebon Death Draco Lich. This is two black black for a 5-2 flash flying. Enters the battlefield tapped. You may cast Ebon Death Draco Lich from your graveyard if a creature not named Ebon Death Draco Lich died this turn. Just a decent recursive threat with flying. Uh, it counts their creatures. So even if you don't have very many creatures, you can use this to just keep coming back. Can't flash it in a block. Really good against Planeswalkers though. So... I mean, our Planeswalkers right now are pretty bad. Planeswalkers from this set are pretty bad. But if you need to take out some Planeswalkers in your black deck, this is a way to do it. Yeah, see, I think this card is really good at attacking Planeswalkers. Like, really efficient at that. Mm -hmm. And there are no Planeswalkers to attack. Yep. It's not <laughs> it's quite the time for Ibn. Not a single one. <laughs> Potential for it in older formats as well, just because, like, it's a graveyard-based thing. I mean, paying mana for your graveyard stuff is generally not how we do it in older formats. It's so I don't think it'll pedestrian. be a thing in a graveyard-based deck. But, you know, in a deck that's not, like, dredging, but is, like, thought-scouring or whatever, this isn't an impossibility. Yeah, this is also on my list. I I just think it's a generically good creature. Mm -hmm. Some some upsides, some downsides, mostly that you can't block with it very well. Yeah, that, That's actually, I think, the biggest downside of the card. Right. Not only I, that it can't block from the graveyard, which I think is a balancing factor, but it just like doesn't block very well at all. Just because like, it's a 5-2. And yeah. it enters the battlefield tapped when you right. cast it from your hand. So you yeah, can't yeah. even pretend it's a kill spell. Right. You have to pretend it's a creature. Uh, my number three is Lolf Spider Queen. Three black black for a four, lo four loyalty planeswalker. Whenever a creature you control dies, put a loyalty counter on Lolf Spider Queen. Zero, you draw a card and you lose one life. Minus three, create two, two, one black spider creature tokens with menace and reach. Minus eight, you get an emblem with whenever an opponent is dealt combat damage by one or more creatures you control. If that player lost less than eight life this turn, they lose life equal to the difference. I don't know what to do with this card. Obviously, you need a bunch of other creatures in your deck. And generally, like those black decks with like a bunch of throwaway black creatures are not like really looking for five mana planeswalkers. But... Those 2-1 Menace Reach spiders that it makes when it comes down are like pretty real creatures with that combo of abilities. Whether you're attacking, they have Menace, or blocking, they have Reach. Uh, and then 
as long as they can't just immediately kill her, she draws a card every turn after that. That's not bad. Yeah, as, and a mana cheaper than, like, Garrick Cursed Huntsman, which has a mm-hmm. similar dynamic of making two creatures that you kind of don't want to kill because it adds loyalty to Garrick. Yeah. Uh, I, I like this card a lot, but it's not an easy slot. This Planeswalker goes here. Right. Here's my Obnexless kind of deal. Right. Because she demands you have other creatures to sort of, like, help keep her healthy. Because her best ability is to make creatures, and mm-hmm. the only way you can do that is with other creatures dying. Yeah. And also, it's hard to take advantage of just two two ones If those are your only creatures, like, your opponent is just going to, like, all right, I'll burn my removal spells that were otherwise dead on those creatures. Uh, if you have other creatures, then it becomes a much bigger problem. Especially if you can play her sacrifice some stuff ultimate uh, her ultimate is very limited yeah but if you're in if there's a format like with mayhem devil legal or a mayhem devil equivalent that's coming out i don't know that but we're speculating mm-hmm. you get rewarded for sacrificing thing it's just another payoff that does that while fueling card advantage and creatures so it's it has a niche but right. i don't know if that niche will be filled yeah i mean the fact that like right i i don't think you're pretty much ever trying to ult this because and that's really intentional they don't want you to just be able to like cast it sacrifice your board do an ult that basically wins the game like that wouldn't be a great play pattern to promote but the pattern where like my creatures are dying and that allows this to like keep making two creatures every turn is like that's potentially really strong mm-hmm. I, I like Volk a lot she had, she was number one on my list that's reasonable my number two is deadly dispute this is one in a black for an instant. As an additional cost to cast a spell, sacrifice an artifact or creature, draw two cards, and create a treasure token. So the only fun that I've had... I don't like this limited format very much. I played a bunch of it, and it's not designed for me. Uh, I can go into my criticisms in a, on a later show. But the only fun that I've had so far in this limited format is a deck that half of my spells were Deadly Disputes and Shambling Ghasts. <laughs> uh, Shambling Ghast is my number one card on the list. Shambling Ghast is one black mana for a 1-1 zombie. When it dies, choose one. Target creature and opponent controls gets minus one, minus one until end of turn, or create a treasure token. So, like, the only fun deck that I've had in this format so far is a deck that was half Deadly Disputes and Shambling Ghasts. As long as your opening hand had a Shambling Ghast in it, you were just off to the races of, like, card advantage and treasure production and... You just like massively out-resourced your opponent. The way that Deadly Dispute works, I mean, yes, we have Village Rights already in the format. And I think Village Rights is a probably a better card because it costs one mana. But this has different things that you can exploit with it, including the fact that you can sacrifice an artifact to draw the two. And that's a lot of flexibility. If you have a treasure lying around, then you get to do this without sacrificing a creature. You get the treasure out of it, which gives you a lot of mana flexibility in future turns. Like, this card was really, really impressive to me. I don't think people are picking it highly enough in the limited format. And I think that if there is a sacrifice deck in this format, it is on the back of Deadly Dispute and Shambling Ghast. Ghast is great, man. A one mana that dies into a treasure, like, one mana creature that dies into a treasure is just, like, a way of cycling through resources that they don't often give you at that cost. And also, like, if they have a, you know, a Trotsky or a, uh, an Elite Spellbinder or something like that, then this can just kill it. But it doesn't, like, it's modal. You get the treasure if they don't have that. Like, Gast is fantastic. 
Yeah, there is a card in Commander Legends. Gast is my number two, so yeah. I'm very on board with Jambling Gast. Uh, there's a card in Commander Legends that's like something Blunderer. Uh, it's a goblin that costs a one red mana, and when it mm-hmm. dies, you get a treasure. And I liked that card. I was kind of sad it was never standard legal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Shambling Gast is that card in a different color, but also has a removal spell kind of tacked onto it. And it's like, yeah. oh, this is... Okay, I wanted the worst version of this card, but we've got this one now. Shambling Gast, this like one mana common, is like my favorite card in the set, honestly. It's it's a cool one. I, I really like this card. Like I, I have this as number two, just because yeah. I think producing treasure is so valuable it is yeah and the sacrifice stuff is just part some of my favorite stuff to do in standard same so i hope we get to do that and i'm i hadn't thought of deadly dispute as a part of that deck mostly because village rights in my mind covers a lot of that already being a little more broadly efficient but yeah you're you're right about that i think village rights rotates soon doesn't it no it's in the Oh, it's in call time. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Because I knew it was in course at 2021. I just didn't realize it had been reprinted in call time. Right. And I, I think there's a really decent chance you want six of that effect. Okay. And also Deadly Dispute. I mean, it, I don't know exactly how your deck is constructed, but, you know, like, there's an artifact land in standard now. And sometimes you... It's hard to justify playing that in your deck, probably, because it makes colorless mana. But if there's some weird confluence of treasures and sacrificing obviously with shambling gas at, at the center like deadly disputes ability to sacrifice an artifact is kind of great my list is almost identical to yours mm-hmm. uh, numbers are different here and there my number five uh was check for traps which is just a generic uh hand disruption card it's one b mm-hmm. target opponent reveals their hand you pick a non-land card from it exile it if it's an instant card with flash they lose a life otherwise you lose a life it's just like the agonizing remorse that is for this format which kind of seems to get worse and worse although probably in a lower powered format agonizing remorse becomes much more palatable spending two mana that effect mostly kills you in current standard (laughs) yes it won't do that in future formats right yeah when theros beyond death was just coming out like people played agonizing remorse because it got rid of uro Mm -hmm. which was a nice effect of that card and then it just fell off play because of various reasons i mean you can't agonizing remorse against an adventurous deck you will die (laughs) that's just not you're not even playing at the same card advantage level there right agonizing remorsing them when they have an edge wall innkeeper in play is probably like top five worst magic feelings in the world so i get to do red cards um well i went i did black cards first right so yeah so red was also a bit of a reacher for me oh yeah i've got some nice ones on here <laughs> uh my number five is a combo hell I've yeah a hobgoblin bandit lord and uh-huh. battle cry goblin <laughs> so hobgoblin battle cry goblin does not quite have battle cry huh it's kind of close it's it's related I'll, I'll spot them this one it's it's close enough that it's fine well hobgoblin bandit lord's a one rr goblin rogue two three uh, other goblins you control get plus and plus one, and you can pay a red and a tap it to deal damage equal to the number of goblins that enter the battlefield under your control this turn to any target. Meanwhile, Battlecry Goblin is a, is a grizzly bear. 1R22 two, two, Goblin. Uh, it's got 1R to give goblins you control plus one plus one in haste until end of turn. 
and it has pack tactics, which is a real ability word. <laughs> uh, whenever it attacks, if you attack with creatures with total power six or greater, you make a one-one red goblin that also is attacking. Uh, red didn't have a lot of great cards, and there's a couple of goblin synergy cards here, which is neat because there's some goblin cards in historic, and these are just more tools for that. Mostly the hobgoblin bandit lord as a lord, but I, I don't think either of these cards are like fantastic. Did you know that Goblin Trashmaster is legal in Best of One Standard, but not in regular Standard? Why is it legal in Best of One Standard? It no, I didn't in... know that. Like, why oh, would yes. I know that? It's in one of the intro deck things that <sighs> okay. only makes cards standard legal in, in Best of One. So, so currently, you can play Goblins in Standard 2022 queues, but like two of the cards in the deck are not going to be legal in future standard and are not legal in current standard. <laughs> I, I also hate tribal synergies like this. E even though I do like goblin tribal, I hate that they're introducing some goblin tribal cards and then immediately going to Innistrad, a plane with zero goblins on it. Mm. I, yeah. I hate it when they do this. They just like plan things out so poorly. Like at least with Kamigawa, where it was like Snake Tribal, Fox Tribal, there's a whole year of it, so you could forgive it. Yeah, and and then the there were spirits in Ravnica, so kinda, yeah, sure, mostly Ghost, Ghost you Dad. Can't, yeah, I was just gonna say you can't can't forget about Ghost Dad. My number four red card is Inferno of the Star Mounts, which is a mouthful. <laughs> yes, it's a four RR six six legendary dragon with flying in haste. Uh, can't be countered and it's got fire breathing so you can pay a red to give it plus one plus oh and if for some reason its power becomes 20 by using that ability it deals 20 damage to anything you want i don't expect that combo too often probably uh, not the reason it's on my list is that it's an uncounterable threat mm -hmm. and i've played a lot of formats and a lot of decks where sometimes against a, a lot of counterspell heavy strategies and removal strategies usually you just want a card they can't counter mm -hmm. that can do something and this is a pretty good one as a 6-6 six, six haste flyer yep sure it has very little protection against removal except for the fact that it has haste right which is sometimes enough like haste is a really good ability yeah i mean sometimes just like smacking them for six and then forcing them to engage on their turn with your thing can put them on the back foot enough it does cost six mana but it's, sure this is a sideboard card to me. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, number three, I've got Unexpected Windfall, which is a 2RR instant. It's an initial cost to cast it, discard a card, draw two cards, create two treasure tokens. So it's essentially Pirate's Pillage, but an instant. Slightly harder to cast. Uh, I just like adding treasures to the battlefield. <laughs> that That's my main... I, I was looking at the one in Modern Horizons 2 that was just red mana, make a treasure. Because I thought... I, I didn't know when it was going to be played, but I knew having a one mana spell that puts something on the battlefield is always valuable. Mm -hmm. And this card is similar to me on like a standard axis, where being an instant gives it some flexibility compared to Pirate's Village, which is really all in. And I, I like putting treasures on the battlefield. Yeah, I can't. I know Jerry and Brian are really high on this card. I, okay, I'm not high on this card. I, I know, I, I understand. But I, I just, think it is playable. I I can see the, I guess it's playable. 
maybe we're like a black red mid-rangey deck with a bunch of treasure synergies and like some graveyard stuff or something like i gotta be using everything on this card yeah in order for me to play it i i have my eye on i'm looking at like mostly two mechanics from this set going forward uh which is the graveyard stuff you can do because i know inner shot is coming up and the other stuff is the artifact stuff because they're being real free printing a bunch of artifact and artifact synergies in the set Mm-hmm. And the way the like magic story is going, I hope we get to new Phyrexia soon, especially since mm-hmm. the Phyrexian Praetor secret layer just came out a little bit ago. Yeah. So I'm I'm keen on anything with graveyard and or artifacts energy, and this card kind of checks both of those boxes. Sure. If I were like in like doing Vegas betting on cards and stuff, I'd put my money on this card not seeing any play at all. Oh sure, I would too. But I mean. Yeah, I, would I know we're doing take what that we bet against most of this cards in the set. Yeah. Uh, number two is Burning Hands, though. I like this card. It's a one R. Let me find it. Yeah, a one R instant deals two damage to target creature or planeswalker, and if that permanent is green, you deal six to it instead. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is kind of embarrassing on its face value, which is two mana, two damage to a creature or planeswalker. So you really want to be using this against green decks where it's just a Doomblade or a, a Hero's yeah. Downfall. Kills Elder Gargaroth. Which is huge. That card is impossible to beat when you're on top of it. Yep. And honestly, that interaction alone, being able to kill Elder Gargaroth at such a cheap cost, is kind of like the way you played... Uh, what's the Dominaria card? Fight with Fire? To kill Lyra? Right. I'll just have to, have to have a thing. Yeah, well, I'm not going to lose to Lyra if it if it you on top with it, so I'm going to kill it with this kind of medium card. Burning Hands, I think, is a lot better than Fight with Fire. I think it's a little silly that Burning Hands can't deal two damage to the face. It feels like they could have just. And if the player is that. green, yeah, deal six to them. If they are green, if we've color shifted them somehow, this does remind me. Actually, one card that I probably mistakenly left off of my list in blue is ray of frost uh just like the cycle of these color hosers like several of them are probably worth sideboarding so this is one blue for an aura with flash when it enters the battlefield if enchanted creature is red tap it as long as enchanted creature is red it loses all abilities and it has enchanted creature doesn't untap during its controllers untap step so this is like a two mana way that like deals with annex and torbran and and stuff like that and is just a a very solid removal spell against them. Like one of the best ways to deal with those creatures. That's true. Uh, and this is in a similar space, like sideboard hosers. Mm-hmm. Not a lot to say about it other than that. Sure. Uh, my number one is Flame Skull, which is a 1RR31 skeleton. Unlike Demi Lich, this skeleton has flying. Which to me implies that there's some difference between skeletons with flying and skeletons without flying. Because they both seem to be human skeletons, and human skeletons do not have wings. Well, they're both just skulls. <laughs> like, the Demulish has to fly. How else would it get around? Like, it's I, certainly floating at, at the bare minimum. I, yeah, I, I'm not totally sure the, like, skeleton lore in D&D, but there's something there. Anyway, this is a 1R31 flying, can't block... Uh, and when it dies, you can exile it. If you do, you exile the top card of your library. And until end of your turn, you can play either one of those cards. Or end of your next turn, excuse me. So if it dies on your opponent's turn, you have until your next turn to play it. Uh, this is just a solid creature. 
I, I don't think it's phenomenal uh, because it doesn't have haste, which is the huge thing for <laughs> any 3-1 creature. And it is nice that it gives you the option of you know casting it forever or the next card of your library. Uh, that's a neat choice. I really, really like the design of that ability mm-hmm. specifically. I think it's Me too. really good. Uh, but the card itself doesn't leave a lot to like do with it. Like I don't think it goes particularly fantastically in aggressive decks. Like you can play it because it's you know, a three-one flyer, a little slow, but well, the fact maybe. that it can't block means that the more mid-rangey you are, the worse this thing gets. Yeah, exactly. And I think if you can cast it forever, you can't allow it to be a chump blocker. Mm-hmm. So that makes sense. But at the same time, like right. It, it leaves it in a pretty narrow window of applications. I'm not sure exactly where it can fit in, but I do think it is the fact that it's a 3-1 flyer that you can put in an aggressive deck and it's very hard to kill gives mm-hmm. it that like push to be the number one card. Uh, it's just that I don't think... I think red's a particularly weak color in this set for constructed. Mm-hmm. So that's what I've it- got. It's also got some potential as a sideboard card. Like, it's a threat that you can bring in against slower decks that are leaning on destroy removal. And, you know, if they wrath you and this is one of your things, like, you just keep bringing it back and and that's fine. (laughs) The main problems now is, like, control decks or mid-range decks play dragons in them, which all have at least four toughness. Yeah, that's true. And uh, most of the rats are (laughs) exile-based. Yes. And because this is a replacement effect, or not a replacement effect, like it doesn't get the effect of the extinction of it. Right. True. Uh, so my list is pretty different from yours. Good. <laughs> my number five is Orb of Dragonkind. Oh, okay. I thought about this one for a long time. Yeah, that's fair. This is one red for an artifact. One tap, add two mana in any combination of colors. Spend this mana only to cast dragon spells or activate abilities of dragons. Red, tap, sacrifice, orb of dragonkind. Look at the top seven cards of your library. You may reveal a dragon card from among them, put it into your hand, put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. If you're playing enough dragons and, you know, your deck has a, like, Galazeth Prismari, Goldsband Dragon, maybe the Blue Legend we talked about. Yeah. Like, this is, like, a great card in that deck. And you kind of want to jam it into play. If you've got Galazeth Prismari out, then you can spend the mana from this on anything. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, But, like... I, I, just just rare enough to get two mana ramp that is not a creature and then you can actually cash this in for a card top seven cards of your library you have to be playing a lot of dragons to play this card so that's probably gonna hit a dragon and you know goldspan dragon is real real good so a deck that starts out with orb of dragon kind four goldspan dragons like you're off to a fine start i think yeah i i ended up not i thought about this card for a long time because i see all the upsides Mm-hmm. but it's so hard for me to like imagine this card does nothing without dragons just nothing but like i think post rotation dragons might be among the best things available so that's kind of what, where i'm at with this i do hope to play this card and my opponent has a power kill in their hand i think that'd be nice mm-hmm. yep sorry buddy i've got 14 dragons in my deck <laughs> so uh good luck with your power word kill my number four is Zeriel, Archduke of Avernus. This is, this is the Walker. Yeah. This is two red red for a four loyalty Planeswalker. Plus one, creatures you control get plus one plus oh and gain haste until end of turn. Zero, create a one one red devil creature token with when this dies, it deals one damage to any target. 
and minus six, you get an emblem with at the end of the first combat phase on your turn, untap target creature you control. After this phase, there is an additional combat phase, one of the more anemic alts we've ever seen on like an aggressive four mana planeswalker. You know, certainly suffers from comparison to other two and two red mana planeswalkers, but we don't have those right now. And uh, an aggressive deck that wants a non-creature threat at some spot in its curve, I don't think you play this while we still have access to, like, Torbran. That seems really unlikely to me. But I think making a creature every turn that when it dies pings them, like, that is a fine, like, if we're playing a slower game, if we're playing a game against dragons, this card is really bad. But if that's not what's happening, then that slower game plan, like, can actually be like you're racking up some threats and it also threatens with the plus one if it's in play at any time like okay i'm gonna cast my flame skull i'm gonna plus one and then my flame skull comes in for four damage this turn and if i had any other creatures in play then they get pumped as well so you know there's something there it's not a great card but there aren't a lot of options if you want a planeswalker there so Uh, yeah i think this card is fine Mm -hmm. uh where it suffers is that like in decks that want a non-creature threat at four mana usually want that card to have some sort of like card advantage or killing them on it and the devil tokens are what's providing that in this card Mm -hmm. Uh, that's just a little slow ball to me it's a little but the devils are better than you like they're way better against creature decks than like most tokens that you make are Mm -hmm. and you know they're fine if you're just like generating them against a a control deck you'd rather be like taking advantage of the plus one though hopefully well if your opponent can't deal with the devils you can make them two ones return an attack which is right. really good actually because pink ha- having effective three power attackers with the devil's mm-hmm. die is nice right they're really hard to block effectively yeah my number three is flame skull i think the card's fine but ultimately like hard to fit into stuff my number two is dragon's fire one in red instant as an additional cost to cast a spell you may reveal a dragon card from your hand or choose a dragon you control it deals three damage to target creature or planeswalker if you reveal the dragon card or chose a dragon it deals damage equal to the power of that card or creature instead so you know two mana for four or five damage regularly may be a sweet spot it's certainly going to be really important if your opponent is also on dragons then using this as like a fa- kind of a fight spell is really good i love this like theoretical dragon format we've concocted in our heads <laughs> i just don't know what we're going to be doing besides like i'm going to be casting dragons post rotation right i mean goldspan is pretty I'm nuts be, so. probably going to be casting goldspan dragon and building other things around it but i mean it's a lot of damage it, it's like pretty close to a doom blade for two mana if your deck is constructed heavily on dragons and the worst case i mean like it'll kill any two mana creature even if you didn't draw your dragons on time yeah it's it's basically a searing spear variant mm-hmm. so yeah, it can only be so bad yeah or sorry lightning strike is the the card nowadays well it's a like closer to like a lava co- whatever only hits creatures but a jaya's greeting and then my number one is wish oh okay two in a red sorcery you may play a card you own from outside the game this turn I think that there's a decent chance that this just like enables lion's eye diamond stuff that <laughs> would be hard to do otherwise. It's in red. I mean, red already had burning wish to do like a lot of stuff with, but th- this has potential to like set 
things up. Like, for example, you can wish for Lion's Eye Diamond and then go off next turn. There's not a lot of cards that let you do that. Like, that it does require you to have a Lion's Eye Diamond in your sideboard, which is not ideal, but... I, we've seen Karn decks before play it with Lion's Eye Diamond in their sideboard. Yeah, just we'll play this Wish Karn deck. Well, <laughs> that's not exactly what I meant. <laughs> uh, this card is a little awkward. It's obviously like impossible to use in a format like Standard, but it opens up weird possibilities for Storm decks and in particular for Lion's Eye Diamond decks and is like on this list of red cards... The one, the only card that has the potential to have like lasting impact on Magic: The Gathering for a while. Sure, I can see that. I, I think you're right that it only matters for Lion's Eye Diamond specifically, mm-hmm. and that card is you know rife with abuse cases. So yeah, so like <laughs> just add it to the card list. is good if it's only good with Lion's Eye Diamond. Yeah. All right, green cards. My number five is Neverwinter Dryad. One green mana for a 1-1 Dryad. Two, sacrifice Neverwinter Dryad. Search your library for a basic forest card. Put it onto the battlefield tapped. Then shuffle. Pretty bad card. It combines, like, the worst parts of Rampant Growths with the worst parts of getting your, your bird bolted on turn one. It's got, it's got both of those weaknesses. I, I do but, it's a little bit flexible. It can do the thing at the speed you want to do it. And then, like, you know, if you play your one drop, they kill your one drop. Okay, annoying. But there's only so many one mana, like, efficient ways to do that. And then if they don't, then you do get a rampant growth sort of out of it. The God, the thing about this set it, that is so weird, treasures give you every color of mana. Yep. So if you're doing treasures, you can play like five colors of all the rares that you see in limited, no problem whatsoever. All of the green cards that don't make treasures only make green mana. This thing only gets you a basic forest. The aura that enchants a land is templated in the worst possible way. It gives enchanted land tap, add green, green to your mana pool. It's impossible to sequence that card and double spell in a turn. I don't, it's so weird. I don't know why this doesn't just search for any basic land type. Like it's like Sakura Tribalder, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, you could have like this card could be a Sakura Tribe Elder variant, essentially. Mm-hmm. And I have this on my list. It's actually pretty high. I put it at number three. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's mostly because I didn't realize it just could only grab forests. <laughs> yeah, I think it it's significantly worse because it can only grab for, like how many basic forests do you even have in your deck. You already had the green for this, so you don't like desperately need the. You know, it's just like it's not fixing your mana anymore. But there's still some value in just a one drop that converts into ramping you. Yep. And if your deck can use the creature in other ways, like, you know, it's a body, it blocks for a turn, depending, and eh, it's fine. Not as flexible as Scourge Eye Butter because you can't just leave it on the table for blocking. Right. You actually have to devote mana to it every turn and you want to do that. Right. I mean, Sakura Tribe Elder is like an all-time great ramp spell, so... Yeah, but it's, oddly enough, like the only creature that does that. I know. Until this card. Kind of wild. I mean, you know, we have, like, ETB, you know, we have Wood Elves and stuff, so it's not like there aren't creatures who do this. It's just, you know, STE does it in a very specific way that has kind of never been recreated. 
which is fitting for this set right diligent diligent farmhand right is similar to neverwinter dryad I'll be honest, the only thing I remember about Diligent Farmhand is that it counts as a muscle. Is that it's a muscle shard. <laughs> it casts ramping. You can pay up one green and sacrifice it to cast ramping growth. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I, I just shortcut that card to being a muscle burst. <laughs> I mean, it's the most important part of the card. It's the, like, cutest thing that they that's going on there. Uh, my number four is Ranger Class. This is one and a green for... A, this maybe should be higher on my list, honestly. But this is a class enchantment. When it enters the battlefield, create a 2-2 green wolf creature token. One in the green to go to level 2. It gains whenever you attack. Put a plus 1, plus 1 counter on target attacking creature. And then 3 in a green to get to level 3. It gets, you may look at the top card of your library at any time. You may cast creature spells from the top of your library. So this is a bad 2-mana creature that you pay 2 more mana, and then you have a pretty good enchantment. And then if the game goes long, it turns into a card advantage engine. That, like That's pretty good. Yeah, I, I really like this card. I have number one on the green. <laughs> that's fair. Uh, just because that's fail case, like you really want to get it to level three. Level two is pretty good. Mm-hmm. It's just a way to bump your attackers up. Uh, but getting it to level three means your your deck, which is if you're playing this, you're probably trying to attack in some sort of mid range fashion. Mm-hmm. Uh, allowing one card to convert into being a bad creature, like a, a grizzly bear, is not great. But that's not that bad of a fail case. Yeah. That turns into a pumping to make your attacks better into a card advantage engine. That's a lot of things for one card to do. Right. Yep, exactly. So I, I think this card is pretty good. And certainly if green stompy is a deck in the format, which I think it probably will be, there's a lot of like plants for it. Uh, then this is part of that that gives it an alternative angle of attack besides just like curve out perfectly and and hope to deal 20 like this lets you just keep putting threats into play curve out perfectly use your fight spell get keep going (laughs) yeah yeah exactly uh my number three is like probably should have been lower on this list this is circle of dreams druid ggg for a 2-1 elf druid tap add green for each creature you control I mean, this kind of is just, like, the worst version of Elvish Archdruid. Like, yeah, just, like, doesn't do the thing. But I don't know. You could collect a company into this or something. You could. I I, t- I looked up, when I was looking at cards yesterday, uh, this is by Sam Gway, which is a very similar art style to Rebecca Gway, right? Yeah. But they're not related at all. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, like, she mentored him. It's just Weird. wild. That's a very strange coincidence. That that was the most remarkable thing about to me about this card, because uh, I think that like triple green cost is so prohibitive. Like it kind of in my mind rules it out of uh, standard play because if you want to play mono green stompy, you don't like you'd rather play old growth troll than this card a majority of the time because mm-hmm. you don't you can't use your excess mana that well, right? Uh, unless you're leveling up ranger class and no, or casting creatures off of it. This is not a stompy card. This is a we're doing something with the man like i don't know if we're and then in like in like historic and pioneer for collected company stuff i think there's just better stuff to company into it's also like triple green for devotion if that matters at all for green devotion yeah i know green devotion so like just nick those pretty much right but i don't know pretty bad not a great card very vulnerable for a three drop uh, my number two is Prosperous Innkeeper, one in green for a 1-1. One, one. 
halfling citizen. Just really getting those powerful creature types onto this card. A one and green for a one one halfling citizen. When Prosperous Innkeeper enters the battlefield, create a treasure token. Whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control, you gain one life. You get in two game pieces for two mana. If you if the Soul Warden effect is a good thing in your deck, if you know, whatever life gain synergies you have, and then the artifact makes a mana, like that's enough to make this a good card. Yep, I have a Star Five on my list just because two game pieces does a yep. thing. Yep. And my number one is Werewolf Pack Leader. Green, green for 3-3. Three, three. Pack tactics. Whenever it attacks, if you attack with creatures with total power 6 or greater this combat, draw a card. And 3 and a green. It Until end of turn, it has base power and toughness. 5-3. Gains trample. Isn't a human. This is just about the best like green stompy to drop that like we've ever seen. So. Yep. I have that actually kind of low on my list. <laughs> but that's because I was really high on Neverwinter Dryad and Ranger class before realizing Neverwinter Dryad didn't work the way I wanted it to. Ooh, gotcha. So, yeah, I, I think this card is just, like, a generically powerful creature. Yeah, this is very but, obvious what you do with it. And we might see werewolf synergies in the Innistrad werewolf set. So who, who knows? Maybe that's a plan. True, true. Literally a set named after werewolves. Maybe there'll be some werewolf stuff in it. It's just very easy to trigger this thing. Like, if you follow it up with a three mana, three power haste, then you're just drawing a card from that attack. That's pretty good. And it doesn't... Yeah, sorry. I was going to say it doesn't need to attack, but it definitely does need to attack to trigger. Yeah. If all... It can't be part of a pack if it's not attacking. That's true. Good flavor. Uh, the only card I have different on my list is Frog Hemoth. Which is a 3GG44 Frog Horror. Possibly even a better creature type than the uh, Innkeeper. Mm -hmm. Uh, For a Trample Haste, whenever Frog Hemoth deals combat damage to a player, exile that many cards from their graveyard and put a plus one counter on Frog Hemoth for each creature and gain a life for each not creature that are exiled that way. Yeah, Uh, that's that's pretty big. it's, It's very big. I just like the intersection of side. I view this as a sideboard card, mm-hmm. but I like a sideboard card where it's proactive. Because uh, in standard, like you don't need Grafticker's Gauge, Tormod's Script, Relic of Regenerate, like really early graveyard hate to stop people from doing degenerate crap all the time. Mm-hmm. You just need like incidental graveyard hate here and there a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. And I can imagine a world where I'm just bored in a five drop with haste <laughs> and just try to get them that way. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, not much of a threat, you know. Five mana, haste guy. Okay, maybe this is my sideboarded in curve topper against the control deck, but they don't have very many creatures, so it doesn't get very... It's not like it, it's, it stays as a 4-4. But, yeah, I mean, there's there's some application for this card for sure. Yeah, it's mostly just a sideboard card for me. Like yeah. you... Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a generically fine graveyard hate card. Like, I boarded in so many mid-range green somewhat sideboardy threats in my day just to write another one off right all right on to the multicolored slash colorless section yeah i combined mine because i'd have to reach pretty far if i didn't so for number five i have treasure vault which is an artifact land i completely missed on first read (laughs) didn't realize it was an artifact land uh taps for colorless mana and you can pay xx tap and sack it to create x treasure tokens so 
you're tapping two and sacking it to make one treasure, four for two treasures, and so on. It's mostly just a Darkseal Citadel without an indestructible. Yep. And maybe there's some payoff for I mean, dumping a bunch of mana into it to make a bunch of artifacts, like maybe if you're doing Nettlesist stuff, or mm-hmm. if there's a... Uh, what's the Throne of Eldraine aura? Glimmer? Something? All the glitters. All the glitters, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, that that does reward you for each artifact you have in place. You can, sure. like, combat trick someone with this, but, you know... <laughs> it's yeah. mostly just a Darkseal Citadel. Mm-hmm. But Darkseal Citadel's really good. Yep. The only artifact land to escape the ban list. Yep, and because of that, it sees a lot of play. Mm-hmm. My number four is Drizzt Duerden. Sure, I pronounced that perfectly. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a 3GW33 double striking legendary elf ranger. Uh, and when he enters the battlefield, you create. A legendary 4-1 green cat token with trample. I think it's just like Gwenever. I think that's Gwyn. how you say that. Yeah. Okay. Gwen. Gwen. So 4-1 Gwen, green cat, has trample, which is nice. And whenever a creature dies, if it had a power greater than Drizzt's power, you put a plus one, one counter on Drizzt equal to the difference. So if like a six power creature dies, you can put three plus one, one counters on him. Uh, this is just basically nine power, ten power across two bodies on one card yep fine yep if you're mid-range green stuff this is a good card for it that's kind of all there is to it yep seems fine to me good rate creature (laughs) uh number three i have orcus prince of undeath which is an x2br legendary demon five three flying and trample weird mana cost so it's 2br and x Mm -hmm. so the 2br gives you a 5-3 flying trample but if you pay x which can be whatever number you want you get an etb effect which is a modal etb effect you can either give each other creature minus x minus x until end of turn and you lose that much life or you can turn up to x target creature cards with converted mana cost x or less from your graveyard to the battlefield with total haste until turn. yeah total total mana cost so you can pay it for if you pay it for two you can either give everything minus two minus two except for him and you lose two life or you can return a one two drop or two one drops or i guess seven zero drops a one drop and a one drop return it seven zero drop well return up to x target creature cards it doesn't oh you. dang i know can't get all those phyrexian walkers into play so a zero drop and a two drop then yeah a new way to cheat on Asmore. <laughs> uh, this this card's just... I, I see a lot of uh, deck lists with it, which is why I kind of included it on the list. I don't think it's stellar, because it costs so much mana to really get anything. Because mm-hmm. uh, you're not really paying... 2BR 5-3 Flying Trample is not very good. If you find yourself casting it for 4 mana a lot, then you just want Immerstrom Predator in that slot. Like, yeah, exactly. But if you can like produce treasures or get mana or whatever, uh, that's when the ability gets a bit more valuable, especially, I think, the uh, minus X minus X one, the Toxic Deluge mode. Mm-hmm. Also, hold on. Why doesn't this thing have flavor words? Because I would like to know what this thing is doing. I think there's literally not enough room on the card. Which is just, come on. Yeah. You got to make concessions somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I need to know what this card's doing, and I have no idea. 
Can't can't know it. We bump he's right the, up against okay. the the like holofoil. You know, he's the anti, prince of undeath, so the the reviving thing makes sense. But does undeath kill stuff too? Does he make things undead? Yeah, so then it's, he can revive them later on. For the next copy of himself, mm-hmm. very meta. I like the black red deck. Like I can see a version of it that's like making a lot of treasures because there are a bunch of decent treasure cards in black and red. So I could see something like this, and like maybe yeah, it comes down and it returns like you know x equals three, and you return like three one drops or something like that. That could Are you be shambling really geists. Yeah, to return a bunch of shambling geists. Like they, when they die, they make a treasure to like pay for themselves the next time you do something like this. Like I could see that. That that could be something decent in a sacrifice deck that is treasure based. Like I could be into this, and then having the out of the sweeper when your opponent has like managed to like screw you up and get under you with like stompy creatures or whatever. If you like, even if they have kind of, like, some 4-4s and stuff, but you manage to do this for X equals 3, kill your Shambling Geist off, like, finish off their 4-4s. I don't know. I don't think this card is very good, but I want to do the things that it is doing. Yeah, I think treasures are very good. Mm-hmm. And this is just a payoff you can have for treasures. Right, without it being, like, totally embarrassing when you haven't, like, gone nuts with your treasures yet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, my number two is is the card I alluded to very early in the episode. Uh, the card I was most excited about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's Monk Class. Mm-hmm. It's a white and a blue for a class enchantment. Uh, the second spell you cost, you cast each turn, costs one less to cast. Uh, level two, which you pay a blue and a white for. Uh, when this class becomes level two, you can bounce an online permanent to its owner's hand. And level three, which is one white blue. Uh, at the beginning of your upkeep, exile the top card of your library. For as long as that card remains exiled, it has... You can cast this card from exile as long as it you've cast another spell this turn. Uh, I really like this card. Uh, mostly because I think the base rate of the card, like the, the mana engine thing, gives you the ability to cast more than one spell a turn a lot yeah. of times. And that's what the payoffs of like Clarion Spirit, Monk of the First Order, that does it for me mm-hmm. uh you can use its level two to i mean it's a pretty bad level two it's just an unsummon a lot of the time but you can pick up your own stuff and recast them if you want to get triggers on your stuff right uh the level three though is i think where it's at <laughs> where it's just basically pers- personal howling mine where that's you're, you're really getting the cards going you get to you can't cast these spells up front, so you have to have cards to cast in your hand. And lands exiling doesn't do anything because mm-hmm. you can't cast lands. Right. But as long as you're exiling, since there's no conditions to exiling, like you get one every turn no matter what. Uh, it lets you fuel the keep casting spells kind of flavor of the monk class. Sure. Yeah, I mean, it is hard to keep double spelling for a long time. And this is the thing that is like, all right, I'll try to help you out there. And it does work pretty well with the the Planeswalker, with the Bahamut, because he gives you the first mm-hmm. spell each turn. So, yeah, I, I'm i kind of into it. I'd like yeah, to I, see see the list, but yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think that's where the hard part is. Like, see the list is, there's like three cards I want to play, four maybe, but right. we've got to figure out exactly what cards can glue it together. 
I know we can stick some ops in there. We can always stick some ops. Oh, in there. always stick some ops in there. Yeah, it's. But I, I do like that this, the class card, makes the deck. It's kind of like Aether Vial, mm-hmm. where having this card in play is very different from not having it in play. Even yeah. just the the level one makes all your spells cheaper. The second spell you cast. It is a pretty significant mana advantage, or mana. It is a pretty significant mana cost. Yeah. To like get there. And also the second level and the third level, like as you are paying those costs, you're unlikely to be double spelling on those turns, which is a little bit awkward to me, but. At least the level two does extend the game longer so you Mm -hmm. can get to the level three. That is a little nice. Yeah, yeah. And unlike Ranger class, you're paying, like Ranger class, you pay two, then three, then four. This one, you pay two, two, three. So that's a little more feasible. Ranger is two, two, four. Is it really 224? Yeah, Ranger class is pretty good. Oh, okay. You only had that number three? And my number one is the creature lands. Yep, yep. Which is not surprising. I think they're just the best cards in the set. Uh, they are uh, Cave of the Frost Dragon, Hall of Storm Giants, Den of the Bugbear, Lair of the Hydra, and Hive of the Eye Tyrant. They all come into play tapped if they're not one of your first two lands. They each tap for a respective color of mana. The white one is 5 mana for a 3-4 dragon with flying. The blue one is 6 mana for a 7-7 giant with ward 3. The black one's 4 mana for a 3-3 black beholder with menace, and whenever it attacks, you can exile a card from defending player's graveyard. The red one's a 3-4 mana for a 3-2 goblin creature with whenever this creature attacks, make a 1-1 red goblin creature token that's also attacking. And the hydra is XG for until end of turn, it becomes an XX green hydra that's still a land. X can't be zero. What broken thing are they really trying to avoid you being able to do by just like tossing this land into your graveyard? I think the broken thing is... Accidentally, accidentally on activating it. Arena's I'm... terrible yeah, interface. Probably. <laughs> but that has to be it, right? Yeah, I, I think you're right. Yep, uh, these cards, cards are just good. good. Yep. Yeah, especially the red one. I like the red one a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it hits hard and like continues producing threats. Like a tapped out opponent, like a, 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 a tapped out control opponent against it. Like, you know, you can't cast a planeswalker if there's a den of the bug, bugbear in play. Your planeswalker <laughs> no. dies, and they get to keep an extra thing. Yeah, the only one you can reasonably cast is like Vivian. Mm-hmm. Just make a three-three. Then you're trading with their land, and they have a goblin left over. Well, you can play Loth. Loth. Well, oh sure, I guess. I guess you do have to trade both of your two ones off for the <laughs> goblin and the one-one, and. But then you can make two more. It's. <laughs> yeah, but then you lose your Loth. But anyways, yeah, I think this card is pretty good. All, all they're, they're, they're all pretty good. Yeah. They do have the weird versions, which are like modules from D anD D, which are going to be very jarring once they start like getting played against me. They look but really, I do, really weird in play. I do like like the individual art of those cards. Mm-hmm. They just don't feel like they belong in the game. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they feel like like art cards, like weird little show offy things, like collectibles. Yeah, yeah, but it's so strange to see them in play because I've you see them on arena and like those, some of the skins are on arena and just seeing them on in play on your opponent's side of the board is like very weird. 
Um, yeah, so my list is a little bit different, actually. My number five is, I mean, this one should be something different, but it just, like, is too neat. This one is Bard Class. <laughs> I had this on my number five for a while. Green, red, legendary creatures you control enter the battlefield with an additional plus one, plus one counter on them. Level two, cost another green, red. Legendary spells you cast cost green, red less to cast. This effect reduces only the amount of colored mana you pay. And three, a red and a green. Whenever you cast a legendary spell, exile the top two cards of your library. You may play them this turn. I think my biggest, like, sadness about this card is that there's no way this is good enough pre-rotation. And post-rotation, we don't have Clothis anymore. And, like, that's what you really want to be doing. You want to play this turn two. Turn three, you play, you activate it, and then you play Clothis, so you still, like, are on your Clothis turn. And then you're so close to the devotion for Clothis, and then you have, like, I guess more legendary creatures and stuff that continue getting reduced in cost. But probably this is really hard to make work. You need a bunch of like green red legends and there just aren't very many green red legends that you can justify playing. Yeah, I, I like what this card does, but it's I think more of a eternal format slash casual commander fun card thing. Yeah. 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 Which is fine. I think this card's really cool doing that. Yeah. Uh, the, the weird part to me in this card is the level two where they put reminder text just as rules text. Yeah, that is so weird. Like, like edge, spells on by Edgewalker, this is, Edgewalker has exact, exactly the same kind of text, but it has the second part of that in as reminder text in parentheses. I, I, it's very strange. Uh, yeah. Uh, my number four is Adult Gold Dragon. Three red, white for a 4-3 flying lifelink haste. This card is really weird to me. It's just like, whenever they cast it in limited, you're like, oh, okay. I guess. Like, we were like playing magic up until now, but whatever. This one's over. Uh, And then it's like, not very good in constructed, but probably a sideboard card that's relevant as like a, like patch up a hole in a couple of different matchups and so then it's useful enough to to put in but you're never going to main deck this when there's goldspan dragon in the format so because you're just going to run goldspan dragon yeah this is like a sideboard card but hard to see where you would want to have a like red white card at your sideboard (laughs) yeah I, i just think if it's like bridging multiple gaps if it's like okay well casting these other five mana spells is pretty bad against the aggro decks, but this actually stabilizes me really well against them because there are no lightning strikes in the format, so it actually is fine against the red deck. And also, it's good against these planeswalkers out of my out of this opponent's deck, or what you know, like it might just be enough to be like, oh, this slots in for these matchups and is good enough. I, I will say that though the card is really powerful, like in limited especially. Mm-hmm. it's named and it's a, like just I know. The text box feels like an uncommon it does it can't be an uncommon but I know exactly what you're saying uh, my number three is Kalein Reclusive Painter this is black red for a 1-2 when it enters the battlefield create a treasure token other creatures you control enter the battlefield with an additional plus one plus one counter on them for each mana from a treasure spent to cast them Similar to Prosperous Innkeeper, you know, it's a body, comes with a treasure, has some potentially relevant text on the body. If there is a black, if there is like a black red sacrifice deck 
that is also doing treasure stuff, which, you know, there's other seeds for that archetype in this set, then this is like pretty good. And you can just spend your treasures, cash them in for plus one, plus one counters on stuff and, and get like pretty far ahead on board from this body that gave you the treasure to start with. Um, I kind of like this card. I, I do too. I had this card on my list as well. I don't actually know why I took it off. Mostly because I think its color cost is a little prohibitive. I think the treasure cards... Like, the best treasure card to me is Galazeth Prismari. Mm -hmm. Which is a completely different kind of card entirely than this. Yeah, And the rest of the treasure cards I think you have to reach a little bit for. Like, even the red one I talked about, the, the Windfall card. Like, that's not a just like slam dunk right right <laughs> i i mean i think that the that black if you're doing the creature stuff gives you a lot more because then you have uh shambling geist and deadly dispute as part of your your package there so but you that does require you to be a pretty specific thing if you do manage to be grixis though like kalane into turn three galazeth prismari is like pretty sweet and also four, four or five Galazeth block goldspin dragon. Whew. Well, yeah, I mean, she does do that thing where she gets your some of your creatures over potential toughness humps that, you know, if they have specific toughness based removal for these types of threats in the format, you can mess with the math of that. And that potentially makes their spells line up poorly against your things. And if we're Grixis treasure dragons, we can play <laughs> Emrith and the dragon fire card. I mean, maybe we're like black red treasure dragons and we're just like you know this into an early gold span dragon that's a five five and so now their four toughness removal doesn't work on it. like that's pretty good well also what's neat about this card with gold span dragon is that it doesn't count how many treasures you spend to cast the card right it's it counts a mana. So mana yeah so <laughs> with gold span dragons super treasures uh you get two plus one counters per treasure right if, as long as you're spending two mana so like you play your first gold span dragon off of this, it's a 5-5. Five, five. Then you play your second gold span dragon, it's like a 9-9 nine, nine or something. Yeah, painters love gold span dragons. Apparently. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can get your theme deck going. This has, like, very complimentary art to Blood Artist. You can get your <laughs> sacrifice-based art deck going. I mean, I do love the art of Blood Artist, mostly because of all the like the angles i guess mm-hmm. this one's kind of up front this the blood one, artist one is like your, your blood on the table yes <laughs> uh, then i've also got drist on my list and then my number one is also the man lands and that's it we're done we, we did it we did it oh i want to give a, a shout out to the other number one cards uh, all the basic lands mm-hmm. they're fantastic that flavor text on these basic lands is pretty cool a lot of them are actually just really cool locations, too. Like, all the planes are neat. And I, planes are usually the most boring. They're the hardest to do art for, to be honest. Yeah. No, yeah, these are super flavorful. They're they're really well done. Like, this is maybe the coolest part of the set to me. Uh, it's definitely my favorite flavor part of the set by a lot. I think it is I think, the best executed, yeah. Yeah, which I think is a lot of what the set was going for with all mm-hmm. the flavor works and stuff anyway. Yeah, and it's like, this is the place to do it. Putting it right in the middle of the rules text on my card to explain the joke of the card feels like pandering slash infantilizing to me. But these are nice. 
All right. Any closing thoughts for the Adventures in the Forgotten Realms? I think it's the first time we see the actual name of the set. <laughs> um, nothing in particular. I hope some of this stuff plays out better than I kind of think it will. I am bummed that I, I believe the limited format is really, really bad. And that has soured me even more on this set than I would be otherwise. I have watched several games of limited now, and I don't, while I don't think it's a good format per se, I think it's just kind of bland and formulaic mm -hmm. as opposed to like actively unenjoyable, like Avacyn Restored, <laughs> where it just punishes <laughs> you for doing like anything. Yeah, it's certainly not that bad. It's just we have much higher expectation for limited sets right now. <laughs> So I know what you're saying, and I agree with you, but I also think it's funny that my example was Absent Restored, which is like came after Innistrad Dark Ascension. Yeah, yeah, came right after Innistrad. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I know. But we we've had such a consistent run of limited sets, and like I mean, I didn't enjoy MH2, but other people did, and then most of the standard sets before that were like minimum B plus. Most of them were a in the A range, and. So this just feels like a big step backwards. It, it's like a huge number of the cards are only good when you're attacking. And I think it's less fun than an average core set because mm -hmm. there's not as much back and forth as you yeah. would expect. Yeah. Like you just have to curve out. If you miss a land drop, you kind of die. Most of your cards are only like a huge number of the cards are only good when you're attacking and there's not a lot of flexibility with what you can use your cards for. I have not had very much fun with it. The only deck that I really did enjoy was that... Uh, Shambling Geist one. Shambling Geist Because I was doing a lot of blocking, and my blocking was really effective. But most of the time, your blocking is not effective. Oh, also blocking with Shambling Geist is just like putting you up a turn, too. So that's kind of nice. It's just wonderful. Yeah, it's so good. Or blocking with it and then casting Deadly Dispute before damn like just like lots of nice things going on anyways neither here nor there this sets out hopefully it's good hopefully more of these cards get a chance after rotation sadly i think it's going to be a while before we see much impact in standard i know mm -hmm. people are playing like the the 2022 event i think is what it's called the one where cards that are rotating aren't allowed in yep but i think that event is just inherently flawed because it, it always is. Yeah. Because the card pool increases by such a huge percentage with the false set. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and we're getting two false sets this year. It's two winner shot sets. Best of one only. So, you know, it, it's not a great representation. So when, when I look at deck lists from that event, I don't take them with a grain of salt. I pretty much just don't take them. Yeah. I don't believe that the two best decks in the next standard format are going to be dragons and angels. I, I just don't like, I don't buy that. But I mean, if they are, then wizards has definitely done something here. So who knows? I, yeah, th this set's just kind of be there for a while. Mm -hmm. uh, there's, I, I'm mostly just looking forward to Innistrad. Yeah. Not, not something I was, so I, I knew this set was coming out for a year, right? The D and D set. Mm hmm. And at no point was I looking forward to it because I don't I don't know what DD is. I had no idea what to expect. I, I just don't play DD. I was looking forward more to like Strixhaven than this set because even though Strixhaven ended up being 
that multicolored set, like Ravnica, which are n- not my favorite sets. I-, I can see where I could use those cards somewhere, mm-hmm. like especially some of them. Uh, and I was still looking forward to it. The DND set is just kind of a blip on my radar. Like we're, we're it's here. I like the class cards a lot. Some of them, uh, I like the design of those a bunch. The rest I could pretty much leave. Yep. I don't know. You know, I've played a fair amount of like Dungeons and Dragons based video games, but they also never capture the experience of like playing a tabletop RPG with your friends. And I feel like the set is really missed on that concept where it's just like taking the source material, including the rules of the game and kind of jamming them into the magic engine. And I don't believe that's a particularly like elegant, graceful or compelling solution to the answer to the question of like, ooh, what if D&D was in Magic the Gathering? It, it just like doesn't really play for me. Yeah, that's it. Uh, I don't know I'm how done. to like undo. Uh, I, I don't know like how to end on a particularly positive note, but I'll tell you a positive note. I told the story on Twitter, but I'll t- I don't think I told it to you personally. So I played FNM and the like. There's a Sunday cash tournament at the tavern, so I played in that, and I already told you I did well in that, which was great because mm-hmm. I played a glimpse of tomorrow deck, which is the Warp World suspend card. And I put a million billion goblins into play with Chancellor of the Forge. It was fantastic. <laughs> uh, but one of my favorite things I did is I I stacked my triggers because th- that deck's all about stacking triggers. Because you put your deck into play, then you like sort what you put into play. And what I do is I arrange them how I want to trigger them, like from left to right, so it's mm-hmm. a clear indication of like what order I'm doing things. Yep. So I did that. And I ordered it such that I would like draw a card off Omnath, so I'd have two cards in hand, so I could get the max number of elementals when I resolve my season pyromancers, so I could like go again, because I also had Goblin Dark Dwellers to target <laughs> Glimpse. <laughs> so I draw the card off Omnath, and it's a violent outburst. And I want to cast it. So season pyromancer is still triggering. I still have Dark Dwellers triggers that are targeting two different glimpses. And I have a a chancellor of the forge trigger that's going to make a bunch of goblins mm-hmm. but i don't want to discard my outburst because i want to like go for it again yeah. so i write down like season pyromancer one goblin dark dwellers one goblin dark dwellers two chancellor of the forge as like the stack i write it down then i cast my light on outburst <laughs> and i i sit i like show my pad to my opponent like this is what i'm writing down this is the stack so far we're about to glimpse again these permanents are not going to be here so i wrote it down and he's like all right this is this is too much you've got this one yeah <laughs> and i'm like okay i respect that but come but I, on <laughs> yeah i want to i really want to resolve my stack that i had to write down because there's no way we would remember it once the permanents are no longer in play I did the work for this one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that that game was just... I really enjoyed playing that one out in paper. Even though when people would come over and like watch my games, because I would always have these long turns, shuffling mm-hmm. my deck a bunch of times and putting permanents into play, <laughs> people would be like, why are you playing this deck in paper? I don't, I don't understand. <laughs> well, that's cool, at least. Yeah, that was nice. All right. Thanks, everybody, so much for listening. Really, really appreciate your time. If you want to lend us some support, head over to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast. If you want to find us on social media, I'm tweeting from at ccr underscore grindcast. Lee is also on Twitter. I'm at Lee McCleo. 
That's it for us. Have a great week. Bye.